Hey, it's Scott Owner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get to just a terrific podcast with Brian Balfour at Reforge, uh, Brian and I have been friends for many, many years, worked next to each other at ThoughtBot when we were early on at Cruise and he was early on at Reforge and uh, stayed friends and he's got just a fantastic story. I want to give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling, they just build amazing payroll services, amazing benefits, and their IT infrastructure provisioning is just fantastic. Just so the folks know, like they handle your payroll, can run automatically, autopilot, all that stuff, which is which is nice. The benefits, they let you work with an independent broker. That's what we do. It actually saves a lot of money. It's really nice. The, the independent brokers kind of go to bat for you like in a more hardcore way than kind of a general broker in a, a integrated payrolls company system. And then their IT provisioning is just, is it saves us so much time. It's uh, it used to take us like three hours to get someone up and running. So it's, that's a huge amount of time savings when you're adding a lot of people or, you know, sometimes in this market, you're having to let a couple people go, which is super unfortunate, but that does make it a lot easier and faster to do that too. So check out rippling, rippling.com. And, uh, and now on to just a great podcast of Brian Balfour. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise from founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Olm. All right. And now our special guest, Brian Balfour of Reforge. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. So we've been friends for a very long time. We used to sit next to each other at ThoughtBot and a rented desk. We did indeed. No, I think right. was that well, that was when Cruise was like four people and you were was Reforge one. Uh, solo man, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. We've come a long way. Uh, well, maybe you could tell everyone retrace your career a little bit and how you had the idea for Reforge. Yeah. So the quick background is uh, I was born and raised, grew up in Michigan, went to University of Michigan. Um, uh, shortly after college became a product manager at Zoo, a company called Zoom Info at the time, one of the early companies to like yeah. NLP technology, um, but quickly got into the entrepreneurial scene there in Boston and started my first VC-backed company. This was like right before Facebook launched their big developer platform and social games took off. And so we ended up navigating our way into the social game space, rode that roll, crazy ass roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> And uh, for about four years or so, we eventually ended up selling that company to a mobile ad company called Tapjoy. Uh, right. And then um, I took a little bit of time off and uh, ended up then helping start my second company called Boundless Learning with a couple of close friends of mine, Ariel Diaz and Aaron White. And uh, we had basically created a process to take um, all of ex very expensive college textbooks and turn them free. Another wild ride, like uh, got a couple major bets right in that company, kind of got one of one of the bets wrong. And on top of that, got uh, sued by the three largest uh, textbook publishers because uh, they were pretty threatened with kind of what we were doing. So um, that one- I remember end. that company and yeah. I loved it at the time. And I was like so crushed when I heard about the I litigation. Kind of like- they kind of hung you out the dry. Like you couldn't get more venture capital because of No, yeah. They are one of the most litigious categories yeah. of companies um, out there. And um, yeah, it was just, it's just crazy. And if you ever want to know like why textbooks are so expensive and why it's like risen greater than inflation, just look at uh, uh, just like what those companies are doing and how they protect yeah. their assets. Yeah. And so anyways, they we ended up selling that company to uh, a textbook rental company at the time. And then, you know, after that, after riding two roller coasters like that, um, I was a little burned out, took a little time off, did a little EIR stint at a venture firm called Trinity Ventures, like really was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and um, navigated my way and ended up actually as the VP of growth at HubSpot, which I would have never expected. But 
we ended up um, ended up joining about a year before we went public. Uh, the company was going through two major transitions. One was like they wanted to turn into a multi-product company. So going from having one product, which was the marketing product, which was kind of cranking and growing 50% year over year yep. and starting to establish new product lines. But two, at the same time, um, they had started the company off with a very content, content marketing plus sales motion. And they wanted to start to transition to more of a product-led bottoms-up motion. And so um, I joined to help lead a new division to start to explore around those two things. Uh, we started the HubSpot, HubSpot CRM, a product called um, another product called HubSpot Sales Pro, and a few other experiments that actually didn't work out as well. And that was just a crazy time. Like we, those products went from like nothing to tens of millions of dollars in ARR in just like a couple of years, and the team grew a lot. And um, through my time there was actually how I ended up at HubSpot, or sorry, I ended up starting Reforge. So. The real story behind Reforge is that I would sit in these one-on-ones every week with my team at HubSpot and somebody would ask me about professional development, like what they would be doing. I'd spend hours researching what to recommend them. I kept coming up coming up empty-handed. That made me feel like a terrible manager. There was obviously <laughs> a, a terrible experience for them too because yeah. uh, they, they had the motivation, we had the budget, we had everything except like the the, the solution out there. And so as a result, I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to create something on the side uh, by myself, like uh, on the side by myself, we'll offer it to more than just HubSpot people. Serendipitously um, had a conversation with Andrew Chen, who was working on growth at Uber at the time. He was thinking about doing something similar. We combined forces, um, created this thing, a terrible, very embarrassing MVP of a first course that we called the growth series. And it just it went way better than I ever imagined or dreamed of. We had thousands of applications. And even though like the product was just crazy embarrassing, we had pretty solid NPS after after it and really high willingness to pay. And so that combined with some other things that were going on at HubSpot at the time, I was like, you know what? Like this is something that I feel like I need to chase down and see see what it is. So I left HubSpot. Um, moved back out to San Francisco and started working on Reforge full time. And so that's, that's incredible. How I, and what was that like five years ago, four years ago? About four and a half years ago. So yeah. that was, yeah, that was April, about four years ago, April 2016. Yeah. So yeah. that's four years ago, exactly. So a lot, a lot has changed in the company since then of like where it started and where we're at today. Yeah. How big are you guys now, like employees and, and people taking the course? Yeah, so we now have like an alumni base of about six thousand people. Um, <laughs> That's incredible. Good yeah. for you. You know, we started with that one program, and we now have this past cohort. We ran five programs. We'll have seven in um, in the uh, fall of twenty twenty, covering very different topics. We take a very different approach rather than trying to like teach a try to teach a skill or sell a certificate or something like that. We design all of our programs around uh, really meaningful problems that if you solve them, and if you're a key part of solving that problem in your company, you're not only having an amazing impact on your company, but you're having an amazing impact on your career. Because one yeah. of our, our core philosophies is like, you don't move forward in your career by like collecting a basket of skills or certificates. You move forward by finding and solving meaningful problems for the companies you work with. And so um, that's really kind of like what we orient these things around. So we have like the growth series, we have an advanced version of that. We have a deep dive on retention and engagement, a deep dive on retention, a deep dive on experimentation. And in the fall, we'll have um, one that's specifically designed for 
marketers making the transition from a senior individual contributor to a manager. We've yet to name oh. it. Um, and similar on like the core product management function, also naming still TBD. So yeah, lots has, ha- lots has happened. That's amazing. And you, you said a bunch of things in kind of the opening where like you, one of the things that jumped out at me was the product was embarrassingly simple or, or not great, but you still were oh. successful. Yeah, it was awful. It's, that's like a great that's a great lesson for everybody. Like it doesn't, you don't have to have a perfect product. You just need to know what the need is, build something that people can relate to and and get it out there. Yeah. I would, you know, everybody asks me like how this company is different from past companies, which I think is like a really interesting question. Um, And I can definitely tell people that the past companies felt like uh, we were pushing the boulder uphill. And this one feels like more like the boulder started rolling downhill from day one. And we've just been figuring out how to like navigate the boulder down, you know, the fastest path. And so a lot of people talk about this concept of like product market fit or whatever. And, and people ask, well, how do I know when I have product market fit? And I think there are a bunch of good signals that like I've written about around like retention curves and um, qualitative signals like NPS and some other things. But actually the best explanation I've ever heard is from the CEO of Segment, um, Peter Reinhardt, uh, yeah. who said, you know, you have product market fit when you feel like the market is literally pulling the product out of you versus <laughs> you trying to push the product onto the market. Yeah. And that still has like really deeply resonated with me. And that is definitely what uh, Reforge has felt. So even though we had that terrible, terrible product that I was embarrassed of, Um, The fact that there was, we had tapped into a pain point for a specific audience that was so strong that even that terrible version of the product um, had a meaningful impact over whatever their alternatives were. And as a result, um, that that kind of, and of course, we've improved the product greatly since then. Like we did, we weren't just like, ah, we're okay with the shitty product, but uh, (laughs) uh, but yeah, like, like, um, but that was, it just, yeah, has felt totally different than prior companies. That's amazing. It's such a good feeling. I mean, I kind of feel the same thing about us. It's like people need what we do. It's a really great feeling, you know? And like when you're organic, just the referrals and people just finding you, it's it's a really great thing. And then, like you said, I feel the same way. Like we work on our operations. We work on perfecting our processes and training and things like that because we we have it kind of easy on the customer side. So that allows us to be really, get really even better at what we do. And that's, that's what I'm hearing from you. Like the courses have gotten better every time. Which yep. is pretty exciting. Okay. The other thing you said, which was pretty cool, was I'd always thought you guys were like more marketing tactics, mm-hmm. but we were talking before we turned the mics on that it's product-led growth. Mm-hmm. And I heard you say that in the HubSpot example of like the HubSpot CRM product yeah. was product, you know, like maybe talk a little bit about that and, and the differences between the two camps. Yeah. I mean, this is such a tough topic to talk about these days because growth means so many different things to different companies and different functions. And the term has been co-opted in so many different ways that it's just added like tons and tons of crazy confusion. Yeah. But the primary thing is that the big shift that we've gone through as like technology and software companies is is that we've really uncovered that the way that these companies grow is not like uh, we generate something in marketing, marketing like throws it over the wall to like product or sales, uh, and then they move it through the next stage of the funnel to something else. So like the like all the way through the funnel is it's not um, like an industrial food company or oh. uh, or home products company or something like that. No, it, it actually works as this like interconnected system. And so the three pillars of like the system and the machine um, are acquisition, retention, and monetization. But the key thing is that 
since it works as an interconnected system, if you change one element, it totally changes the other elements. So to properly actually understand and do your job super effectively, you actually have to take a view and understand the whole system. And our old frameworks and ways that we viewed companies as like funnels and these other mechanisms don't really represent the entire system in the best way possible. And so this is like the foundational thing that we teach in our programs is how do you understand the complete system and then how your piece kind of fits within the system? Because if you can do that, then you can have a much better effect and influence with within your organization. And so when you take that view, all of a sudden you realize, hey, like, a huge chunk of this system is actually like what happens in the product. And so like we, we talk about everything in the concept of, of uh, a concept that we put together called growth loops, which is where rather than think about things as a funnel, you think about things as a self-reinforcing system where yeah, you get a like newer, newer returning user and then that user does some series of actions, which generates some output, which you reinvest into that input and it comes back to newer returning users. So um, and so, of course, the common examples of this are like viral loops where a new re returning user comes in, they do something in the product, which leads them to invite other users, brings users back. But this also works for content, like user-generated content loops, even company-generated content loops. Um, even sales and ad loops are are loops in themselves because you get a, a new customer. That customer does some things to generate revenue. You take a portion of that revenue, reinvest it in ads or sales in a way that attracts more newer returning customers. And so anything that you change in the in the product or the monetization model or things affects those loops. So once again, we have to look at understand like the entire system to truly understand where the biggest constraints are, where we should be spending our valuable time and resources. How do I have the best impact as part yeah. of that system? Yeah. And so um, ultimately that's why like our programs we build from a product first foundation, uh, but we do have a number of marketers that take our our programs to like help understand that like entire system. And conversely, product managers are coming from the standpoint where historically they haven't necessarily had to think about things like distribution. Yeah. So understanding how that works and how the work that they're doing actually influences those things. So it's approaching it from both directions. That's really phenomenal. Is it like and like what I'm visualizing for the product managers is like. Yeah, you're right. They didn't have to worry about like customer acquisition or retention or things like maybe they worried about retention, but not customer acquisition. So are they coming to Reforge to basically learn how how the how they can build that the acquisition loop into their product and and communicate to the engineers who are actually building the product? Yeah, hundred percent. And actually we encourage engineers and designers to come to our program because ultimately if you see the most effective growth teams are the teams that are working on growth at companies like Pinterest, Airbnb, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. They're cross-functional groups of PMs in design, sometimes ops, sometimes data, sometimes marketing, depending on the area of focus and the type of loop. Even things that were, used to be considered marketing, um, like uh, paid performance marketing, if you look at the companies who are executing the best on it right now, have moved to more of like a product cross-functional team format because to truly compete in paid marketing these days, it's actually more of a game of like, data and high scale personalization and stuff, which tends to involve like more engineering and data resources. And yeah. so all of these things are moving to like more cross-functional uh, team formats. And so, yeah, so basically like uh, our growth series, basically for somebody who's kind of, who's an experienced professional, but newer to this topic is like, here's the crash course. Here's yeah. all of the frameworks and tools you need to know around acquisition, retention, engagement. Here's how to like construct a growth model. Here's how to evaluate user psychology. Here's like all those types of things. Then we have an advanced version. And then we have deep dives on like all of these 
uh, certain pillars as well. But you'll also see like in these other functions, like if we consider more traditional things and kind of some of the newer things that we're building, the way that I think about it is not only do do these new topics and these new things that emerge that we need to like educate ourselves on as a profession, but also like as we go through our profession or, or our function, we kind of go on this journey, right? And I hate to ground this in titles because like titles mean so many different things at so many companies, but roughly speaking, right? We go from an individual contributor to a senior individual contributor, to a manager, to a manager of managers. And each part of the process we're taking on a new type of problem, a higher complexity of problem, a higher yeah. scoped problem, right? Yeah. And if you think about these things, it's crazy. Like a lot of times, like we take somebody from a senior IC and put them in a manager role and we're just like, hey, good luck, right? Like like we just throw <laughs> totally. them into the fire, right? Totally. And and we expect them to, to like understand these things and, or like we throw them like a general management book or class and, ex- and which is partially helpful, but it doesn't actually address a lot of the functional specific things. So like in marketing, for example, the common evolution of a marketer is like, I own a specific piece of a channel. Then I own the strategy for uh, an entire channel. Then I own the strategy for multiple channels. And it's like, oh, oh, it's like, oh shit. Like, wait a second. But I only know my channel. How am I going to know the other channels? Exactly. Like the knowledge you learn on one channel doesn't necessarily translate to another channel because all the channels work differently. And so when you make that leap, right, uh, all of a sudden you have a whole new set of problems that you're supposed to know about. How do I, how do I manage a cross-functional strategy of channels that I haven't necessarily have a lot of experience in? How do I balance the measurement of the qualitative with the quantitative? All of these things are really big problems. And so like, that's a lot of what we're building around and that exists in every single function, every, every, every single one. And so, um, so those are the types of things that we think a lot about at Reforge. That's cool. Do you ever, you talked a lot about how every, everyone's getting cross-functional. Do you have like full teams come in and take a cohort, like do a cohort together so they can, iterate together or how, or maybe someone did it once and then they have their coworker come in next time or how does that work? Oh yeah. Like our big, well, it happens in two ways. Like definitely, um, we love when teams come because, uh, the biggest hurdle to executing against this stuff is getting like cross-functional alignment and buy-in more often than not. I didn't think about that. Yeah. They come back from Reforge. They've got a bunch of great ideas, Mm -hmm. but they can't convince their coworkers on the team to implement the ideas. Yeah. And it's, and look, it's a really hard problem. And like from seeing inside hundreds, I think now thousands of companies, the, the biggest, the the two biggest friction items to getting something done are typically like people in the teams aren't thinking about the problem in the same way. Like they literally have different mental models and they don't even know it. Um, so you're literally like you're talking apples or oranges or talking a foreign language to each other and you don't, you don't really know it. And so when you don't have that common alignment and language and and approach to a it approach to a problem, you the conversations around what we should prioritize, what the best solution is, where we should focus, like they're impossible. To, they're so hard. They're really hard to have. That's the first reason. The second reason is is look, at the end of the day, a lot of this t- comes down to like uh people in in like influence and how to take people on a journey with you. And um, how do you understand the problems that they have and how your problems relate to their problems and all these kinds of things. And this all comes back to what we just talked about, which is like, hey, you have to understand the entire system to have those types of conversations. Otherwise, what it feels like is from the receiver's end is like, 
you're just like trying to like force your problems on yeah. me when I have my own stack rank to problems yeah. that you're not yeah. even understanding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you just like uh, encapsulate like life in life in oh, general. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, it's super. But hard. That makes so much sense. Like the because you've talked about it being like a language almost a couple of times, and like that totally makes sense. Like I know at Cruise, like we speak the accounting language together, and so everyone can. But there's people who when they join, they they are not like up. They don't know how we do it. And we have like right. a super industrial strength process. And so it's kind of shocking sometimes to the new people. Well, and I can see how someone could go through Reforge and have the same experience. They come out and they want to speak the Reforge channel, but there are not enough people on their team have, have done it yet. You know, yeah. so, that, so you guys actually teach also like how to kind of relate and how to convince and how to sell the idea too. We try to, we try to always as part of our programs, teach how to like, find the highest leverage things, build a narrative around it. And as part, as part of that, but we do love teams to come more often than not, like our biggest, it's still word of mouth. We always have like one or two people join from a company, join a cohort. And then the next cohort will get like a dozen applications or yeah, something like that. We definitely see a lot of that, but I, I want to like, it's interesting to hear you say that about the accounting space, which feels like a function that has been codified for a while, but you still you still have those nuances in that oh, language yeah. and stuff like that. So for even a function like product management, which in the grand scheme of things is even newer, right? Like just just imagine just imagine the extra like complexity oh. around like the language. And the pivot of adding product-led growth instead of just being like I went to business school. And so a lot of my frameworks outside of like tech were you know, people are going to go work at Clorox or, you know, Procter and Gamble or things like that. And yeah. Kellogg's still, Kellogg's like the best marketing school in the country, but like they still taught it. A lot of it was, mm -hmm. uh, consumer product marketing like, in consumer marketing. It's, it's consumer product. It's like you put, you do pour money into the ad campaign and you do nice packaging and you do other tactics for, for tech, especially it's the tactics have to be built into the product, which makes so much sense. And you can see the companies that are super successful at it, right? But it, it, like they don't. I don't think business schools have caught caught up to where you guys are. You know, you guys are like on the cutting edge. It's almost like a mini MBA in in product management and product marketing that you guys are offering people. Yeah, it looked like they they definitely haven't caught up. But I, I will say, in in the times of COVID, they were kind of feeling the pressure a little bit before. Now they're feeling the pressure, and yeah. like. So now I'm super fascinated to see like what they what they end up doing and how they end up end up reacting. And so, you know, some of the most forward looking school in the MBA space, it's certainly probably like HBS and Stanford who have been experimenting the most at the forefront. HBS has Harvard Business School online where they've been trying a bunch of things. Stanford has been doing some things. Um, but it's so hard, you know, when you have a 200, 300 year history, like to fundamentally change on like how you teach things and, and what you tackle and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated. Well, but the space is massive, right? Like HBS is 700 million alone. Harvard Business School, not just just not Harvard as a whole. Harvard Business School without donations, I believe, is like 600 to 700 million a year. Oh, in revenue. Yeah. In revenue. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing what they're burdened by is like, they're, they're, the, they're the classic kind of... Um, disruption target that they teach about, you know, like they're charging 60, 70 grand a year now probably. Mm -hmm. And they can't get off the cash cow machine. They're just, they're, they know they're a cash cow. So why would they change? Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard for them to compete with someone like Reforge at your guys' price point. 
And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting because you got like, I think we, I, we talked about this before I turned the mics on, but like you guys are like an established brand. It's that's why I want to have you on the podcast too. But like a bunch of my friends reach out to me and ask me about you and ask me about Reforge and how are their experiences good? Should I do it? You know, I think, or the other one, I'm getting kind of older now. I'm 43. A lot of my friends are managing people who are, who want to go to Reforge, yeah. you know, and they're approving those expenses. And saying like, is it a good investment? I'm like, of course it is. My hope is to get the brand to a point where they don't even have to ask you. They're just like, oh, it's Reforge. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I still have work to do. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something. I'm not even a marketing person, so the fact that people are asking me, you know, but yeah, you built you built a hell of a company. It's really cool. Now, what you guys have? Maybe walk me through the model. Walk the audience through the model. There's two cohorts per year. Yeah, we do two cohorts per year, one in the spring, one in the fall. Right now, the programs are uh, six weeks long. Um, they're designed for people who have full-time jobs. And we tend to not take people who don't have jobs. We might try some things within the COVID environment to help some people yeah. out. But, but once again, the programs are really designed to help you solve a really meaningful business problem um, like at your company. Because once again- How do you bring your business problem into Reforge, basically? Part, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. part of it. We try to because- not only, so it's, it's kind of like going back, like, I'll tell you a story in high school. I took like two or three years of computer science, like learning C plus plus and like, you know, crazy old languages and stuff like that. And like, it was okay and stuff and it kind of stuck, but not really type of deal. And yeah. my junior or junior or senior year in college, I started like my first like quote unquote company. And I was like super passionate about getting this thing started and stuff. And and then all of a sudden we were like, we needed to create the, the product, the website. And uh, I learned more about programming in two weeks because I had that problem, that meaningful problem that I wanted to solve than I did in my like three years of like high school yeah. computer science. Yeah. And, and, and the same thing is true as we go throughout our lives. And that's why, you know, like there's all of these like uh, skill-based learning platforms and, and there's this whole message around like how like the new economy is around, uh, around skills. And I, I actually don't agree with that. Like, interesting. and so the way that I think about it more is like skills enable you to, to solve a problem, but learning the skill by itself is not actually that valuable. And actually, if you learn the skill in isolation of a meaningful problem, you tend to like learn a bunch of stuff that doesn't stick or that you don't need or that yeah. you're not set up to apply. And so more is like when I used to help, you know, my team out at HubSpot is I was always trying to to position them to find a meaningful problem to solve in the company that was like half based on skills they already knew and half that are based on oh, new skills that they, that they had to go learn to enable to solve that problem. Yeah. And that is that ends up being way more effective yeah. than trying to be like, uh, like how many, I know so many people who have like, they go in and take a SQL program and then 95% of them never use it in yeah. their company because it's disc, it's, it's skill first problem second. And I'm saying yeah. problem first skill second, the skills are so important, but the problem comes first. I totally get what you're saying. And it's the, the, the validation of that for me is doing cruise consulting. Cause there's all these problems that th that was one. I, one of the reasons I wanted to join Vanessa was I could see that there was a lot of, there's going to be a lot of stuff to figure out. And so I learned so fast and, and you kind of like don't have a choice. You just have to do it. Like there's no, you know, there's no, Hey, I'm just not, I'm going to punt this one, you know? And so I actually agree with you, like finding a really difficult problem and then having the motivation to solve it is, is probably the most important thing. And yeah. like, 
by definition, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're if you are the person in charge of at Airbnb or Uber or whatever, in charge of like growth marketing or product led marketing, you have to you solve it or you're gone. You know, there's no like, hey, I'll I'll take two years to figure this out. You gotta get it done. Yeah. I would also say just like signaling your skills doesn't tell me as like an employer or anything else that you can actually help me solve the problems for your business. I am oh, yeah. so like, so most of the interview process is actually around like, okay, the, the narrative that you're telling me around your skills, does it actually match the problems that we're solving inside the yeah. company? Right. And there's like so much back and forth and problems with interview processes and like all that kind of stuff that you end up missing. And so I highly encourage like everybody, like the better thing to do than just throw a bunch of skills on your LinkedIn profile is to put some type of portfolio together, whether that's a website or just like a Google Drive folder that tells the narrative around like the problems that you helped your company solve and how you how you kind of approached it and what you did right and what you did wrong and what you learned along the way. That tells me way more, way more. And it makes you stand out way more than than you know the standard resume or the I totally program. agree. Also the way you communicate it. Like I was I was chuckling on the inside when you were like surprised that accountants feels like it's a standardized thing or feels like the the ways are understood, but it's actually that's what makes it so interesting is that it's easy to fake it on the outside. And so like I actually feel bad for people who are trying to like like hire their local accountant mm. or whatever because there's no way to tell like we even get fooled. Like we sometimes hire the wrong person. And even yeah. though we're like ninjas who know how to do this better than anybody and have built all the, pro like even we get fooled. And so like, and that's because the resumes look the same and the experience looks the same and the, the keywords look the same. So you're right. It is all about the stories and it's all about the explaining the problems you've solved and making it interesting for people. Yeah. That's how you get hired. That's how you get a new client. Yeah. Well, I, I'm laughing at myself now because I realized that that my observation was so dumb because like, and I'm now thinking of all of these examples of how it could be highly nuanced in the, uh, oh, the accounting right. space. But now I'm thinking like, you know, a lot of times people come to me with questions are like, Hey, like, can, can you uh, like, how do I grow? <laughs> and like, and, and, and to me, like, I, and like, I'm like, I get it. Like you don't know the function as well. But, and so like I help walk them through and try to like actually identify the problem and the nuances and we can yeah. start to narrow in. And I realized that's the equivalent of me asking you, like, "Hey, tell me how to do accounting." Yeah, like, right. like, and it's like, right? It's like, yeah. But that's, yeah. but that's okay. That's what <clears throat> we're totally. all specialized. Totally. Like, exactly. Yeah. You no, know, exactly. that that's the beauty of it. That's the art of it. And that's the. I actually love sales because that, to me, sales is like you just get the opportunity to tell to demonstrate your experience and show people why they should be working with you. So it's really fun for me. This is incredible, man. So when, so people who are interested, where do they go? When do they apply? What's mm -hmm. how, what gives them the best chance of being accepted? Like how do they, how do they get in? Uh, so our next cohort will be in the fall. We start accepting applications in the summer, June or July. The easiest thing to do is just go to reforge.com, sign up uh, for um, anywhere you see an email box. We don't actually email you that often, only like when new programs are available. So don't worry, we're not going to like spam you. Yeah, it'll go from like mid-September. Uh, we've I don't have the exact date on top of mine, but it'll go from mid-September to like about the end of October. In terms of getting in, um, this is not a status thing. We are not looking for you to like, you know, brag about like the hottest companies and all that kind of stuff. What we're really <laughs> doing is trying to evaluate like based on your role 
and the type of company you're working on and the types of problems you're working on, can we match you to the thing that is going to help you the most? And so that's really what we're focused on. And so we ask a bunch of questions around like role and title and what you're working on and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately that's what we're that's what we're trying um, we're trying to do. Usually we have like seven applications for every spot that that we have. And so ultimately like we just want to make sure that we are um, having the most meaningful impact for you and your yeah. role because we know if we do that, you'll say good things about us and we'll help you kind of move forward in your career and, and things that's, of that nature. So that's really cool. That's actually really disciplined of you because I'm sure you could make way more money if you wanted to by accepting more people, but you're actually, by making sure people have a good experience, you're ensuring like the longevity of the brand and longevity of the service. Well, this is a thing like, and I've written about this too, is like in terms of for founders out there that are thinking about like launching new products and all that kind of stuff, the worst thing that you can do is like literally take your V1 product and just throw it on product hunt and try to get a TechCrunch press article and stuff. Cause you're, you end up with all sorts of problems. You've you've built that first version of that product with a very specific target audience and a very specific use case in mind. And so like if you just open up like the floodgates like that, you're gonna get a bunch of tire kickers, a bunch of people that you actually didn't build it for. All of a sudden you're getting feedback from people saying like, hey, you should do this, you should do that. I didn't yeah. like the product for this. I didn't like the product for that. But it's hard to sift through all of that noise and really understand as a founder and a product leader, how to navigate your business to to somewhere, and so and make the thing that they care, that people really care about, or the segment really cares about. Exactly. So if you look at companies like Superhuman and like Robinhood, and I'm trying to think of some other ones, uh, but have have a much more controlled process of like how they launch and release, launch and release, launch and release, and to get the higher signal to noise ratio, maintain that great word of mouth, and at some point it, it makes sense to like open it up to uh, everybody because you know enough, you know enough truths, yeah. right. To, yeah. to strategically move forward. But a large part of like the, the journey to product market fit is because your feedback often is so noisy and it's hard to understand what to actually listen to. Yeah. So. yeah. That's great advice. And you're totally right. The, the, the curated onboarding, the curated, who's a good fit mm-hmm. is, is a really smart way of doing it or just having a dedicated onboarding team like we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we do it. All right, man. Well, congrats on your success. I'm really happy for you. You're kicking butt and I'll, I'll see, I'm sure I'll get a bunch of requests in uh, what uh, August, <laughs> September about yeah. uh, how great Reforge is. So I'll, I'll make sure to give a thumbs up, but congrats. I'm really happy for you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And if I can okay. help, if I can help anybody out there, just uh, I'm on Twitter at bbelfour and uh, website, brianbelfour.com. Yeah, feel free to reach out. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. All right, have a good one. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Scotty Olds.